Hello, you are listening to General Strike Radio on K-Wink 97.7. I'm your host, Adam, and I am joined here today by my partner and co-conspirator, Kaylee, of Mass Liberation Radio. It is very nice to have you back. It's good to be back. And we actually just finished up um, passing out care packages and sandwiches down under the Wells Bridge. Um, For those of you who don't know, we have a mutual aid project. We call it the People's Solidarity Program. And um, it's sort of inspired by the Black Panther Party. It's inspired by the industrial workers of the world, um, of which we are both members. Uh, Kaylee actually just got her red card recently, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's a long time coming. (laughs) Definitely. And um, so inspired by both of those groups, um, what our really our aim is, is to um, introduce radical politics and a sort of left-wing perspective into the mutual aid sphere because it's all well and good to provide food and needed resources to the most vulnerable members of our community, but without a sort of vision of a different world or a structural change, mutual aid doesn't really go anywhere beyond charity, and that's something that we've kind of been trying to confront. Yeah, we also take inspiration from the Young Lords, um, another arm of our um organization, the People's Solidarity Program, is political education. So we try to put posts together on our Instagram page, get into more social media, uh, eventually get to a zine, but also um, educating folks on the Young Lords um, had um, medical services. The Black Panthers gave out medical services, which is something we want to do eventually. But the Black Panthers uh, gave out free food and had free breakfast programs. So that's also a component of it as well. Yeah, I definitely want to shout out the Young Lords and the Young Patriots, um, all of which um, these groups that made up the um, Rainbow Coalition, which uh, that's the model of which is something that I think we should replicate today, just because all these different communities, all all these different groups, um, really, none of us have all of the resources. No group has a monopoly on either cash resources or volunteers or anything like that. Um, we certainly don't have a visionary monopoly. And so when you look at like what Fred Hampton did and what the Black Panthers did, the Young Lords did, um, Young Patriots, all these different groups that regardless of race had a left wing vision um, of structural change that needed to happen. And that's where that power came from. That's eventually why the local and federal and state governments um, went after these groups and assassinated their leaders. Um, but the medical clinic question is also um, of the utmost importance to us as well because so many people don't have access to medical care. A lot of people don't have health care right now, um, including us. <laughs> we don't have uh, health insurance. So we're sort of reliant on whatever crumbs are available to us as, as far as medical care is concerned. And it just gets as you go down and down further into the lower rungs of our really messed up society, um, people don't have basic medical needs that are that can be met. So um, having sort of like pop-up clinics and things like that, I mean, like we've said before, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel. This stuff has already been done, and especially by like the Black Panthers and Young Lords. Yeah, I'd like to add that um, we recently um, got invited to do a cookout for the houseless community under Wells Bridge um, as a People's Solidarity Program. We're passing out um, ACLU Know Your Rights literature. Shout out to Natalie Handler for that. Um, Reno Hearts, you put this cookout together. And um, we were passing out some sunscreen. And we got to meet some folks who are houseless in our community. And we met this one gentleman named Curtis who um, has all 10 toes amputated. And he is in need of glucometer. So um, it's really important to recognize that a lot of houseless, houseless folks um, have medical needs that are not being met. 
And that's also a component that needs to be added to mutual aid. Um, it can't just be um, food. Um, we need to like think bigger and think beyond that and try to fill these gaps so we can um, protect our most vulnerable residents. Yeah, definitely. And if you are listening and you know where we could acquire a glucometer <laughs> or anything else, um, that would be extremely helpful. So you can get in touch with us um, through KWINK. Um, really, it's it's like a plea to the community in Reno, Sparks, and the outskirt areas to just band together whatever resources we have available. Like I said, none of us have a monopoly on resources, be that volunteers, cash, et cetera. Um, if, you're in, if you are a medical clinic worker, if you're a nurse or you're a doctor and you want to help out your community, whatever you can do um, to volunteer your time and your knowledge, um, it's really imperative at this point because as we've been talking to people even today, like down under the Wells Bridge um, and talking with all the other mutual aid groups and activists out here about like what they've been hearing from the houseless community, it's it's beyond repugnant that the local government of Reno um, hasn't addressed this at all. And it's funny, we actually just had, um, we, we hung out with my buddy Ron, who's also a wobbly, shout out to Ron, uh, recently. Uh, and he was just talking about the fact that, you know, you don't hear any politicians on any level addressing homelessness as though it's th- uh, this massive issue. And it is, It's especially after the pandemic. So anyway, um, we also wanted to address the fact that um, there's going to be a sweep coming up tomorrow, and that's going to be taking place under the Wells Bridge. We were just under there, and there's a dumpster there, which is pretty much a clear indication that the cops are going to start chasing people towards that dumpster. That's actually what a couple of our contacts out there have told us, that they are starting at one end and essentially hurting people, um, trying to get them to move their stuff and whatnot because the whole CARES campus is, is coming up. And I think you probably know more about the CARES campus than I do. Yeah, from what I've read, um, hasn't opened yet officially. So um, like you said earlier today when we were passing out care, batch- care packages that they're kind of, um, they, well, they are um, pushing people out prematurely. And they shouldn't, we really shouldn't be pushing people out at all, but uh, they should at least hold off until the care campus is officially open. Um, and to my knowledge, it's not open. I'm not sure if they are have complete staff for it yet. Um, it can hold 900 people inside the camp, but um, eventually they'll be having a space for people to have like a safe tent um, camping area. Um, I'm, I'm not really sure how many tents like that will be able to contain or um, for when that part of the campus is going to open. Um, I have been hearing they are going to let uh, couples in and pets in. I think I'm not sure like the guidelines of that as well. Um, we just had a meeting with a few activists last night and um there's some some of the language in this kind of doesn't give a lot of people specifics about how many pets you can have. Um, everyone will be getting a locker, like it's kind of like a high school, like type middle school type locker, which isn't really a lot of um, room to put a lot of their stuff. Um, so, yeah, um, there's just like, I think, a lot of details that haven't been really released about it. Um, there are bathrooms, but from my knowledge, it's got to be like 22 stalls and maybe like 20 some showers for supposedly 900 plus people. Um, VOA um, Volunteers of America are going to be 
I think the main um, nonprofit working at the shelter. And I, from my knowledge, they're letting anybody in. It doesn't, regardless of like if you have uh, drug addiction problems or if you're working, not working, it's a shelter for all people. Yeah. And that's one interesting thing that if you haven't done much activist work or like community assistance and outreach and whatnot in the houseless communities um, in Reno and anywhere else, um, there are so many issues that go unaddressed that are only really known to people who are out there living that life. Like, you know, they have these shelters. Okay, well, if the shelter says, well, you can't have your partner here or it's uh, segregated based on gender or you can't have your pets. Well, a lot of people that don't have homes um, that are out there and they're in the streets or under the bridge or in tents, what have you, well, they have partners. It's not like their life has like totally disappeared or that they don't have uh, what people would consider normal elements of their lives, like pets or loved ones or romantic partners or whatever. So, of course, there's a deterrent for people that have a partner. Like, say we were houseless. If someone was like, well, yeah, you can go to this shelter and Kaylee can go to this shelter, <laughs> that sounds like garbage. Like, I don't want to do that. So, and also on top of that, we, we talked to a young man under the bridge um, when we were doing the cookout. And uh, he's a younger kid, and we both were like, wow, like thinking to ourselves, like, damn, that kid looks like he's like 16 years old. And he, he was telling us, like, yeah, there's a lot of older guys out here that will try to mess with me sexually and like constantly having to defend himself. So, do you think he wants to go to a shelter where he might see a potential attacker? And I mean, it gets even worse if you are talking about young women, like, who are under the bridge or in the tent cities and whatnot. So, it's just a difficult situation. And the city of Reno and the state of Nevada, it seems, is just interested in trying to like put bandages on it. And I mean, in in the coming sweep that is supposed to take place from tomorrow to Memorial Day, it's I mean, and that's what we've been talking about is the um, our our hunch is that because Memorial Day is coming up and they we, they know that there's going to be a bunch of tourists and stuff. Oh yeah, well they're going to try to just <laughs> try to push all of the the houseless community and the like what they would consider the uh, ugliness um, in, involved in in Reno uh, to the outskirts, just like they used to do back in the mob days. You know, instead of fixing the problem, just make sure the tour- tourists don't see it. And um, I kind of wanted to ask you um, before we take a short break, um, just because you're a Nevada native, and I think people can hear it from you, and it would mean a lot more than coming from me. Just like how drastically different everything in Nevada is, as far as um, the just explo- explosive growth of the the houseless community and de- the desperation that's been emerging. Yeah, I would say I've been living in Reno for six years, and just like from my perspective with my own eyes, I can tell the um, houseless community has increased from the time I got here, which was in 2014, until now. Um, I see a lot more people panhandling. Um, the camps have just gotten bigger. Um, I even think um, Councilman Nyoma Jardin recently um, said in like a CHAB um, meeting or um, speech that um, they had an overflow tent and then they had like an overflow tent for the overflow tent. And it, because they had to keep like creating these overflow tents, they realized that's kind of what led to the Karis campus because it was just like, okay, like, this isn't really solving the problem. We need something, a bigger infrastructure for this problem. Um, I know there's a few local news outlets um, that have said that city council or local government doesn't know um, how many houseless people there are in Reno right now and Reno Sparks area, Washoe County Commission as well. 
Um, so it's something that they're not keeping track of. Um, uh, before I lived in Reno, I lived in Vegas, and um, ever since I was a kid, um, underneath um, the I-80, um, um, I-95 bridge, I mean, uh, there was uh, a lot of homeless people living under there. Um, I recently went back um, for Christmas, and there were um, a lot more people. It looked almost like... Um, like similar to Skid Row, because um, there were a lot of people. It's not just like they're hidden; um, they're kind of um, just on the sidewalk, on the street. Uh, so I definitely think it's gotten worse. Um, and hopefully, the Cares Campus will be able to solve some things. But um, like you said, like I'm skeptical because a lot of people we've talked to, I don't want to go into a shelter for various reasons, whether that be um, like trauma sexual abuse, um, not having, being able to have their, um, partner there or pet. Um, so I'm hoping that the guidelines for that in the CARES campus are, um, pretty like open and easy for people. Um, I hope they don't kick people out too, because a lot of things we've discovered doing the People's Solidarity Program is that at the women's shelter, um, currently, uh, you can only stay there for about like a month, a month and a half, then you kind of get kicked out. Um, if you don't have like a bed at the women's shelter, you can't utilize like bathrooms and shower facilities, um, at the men's shelter. Um, I guess kind of like similar, similar problems as they feed people at five o'clock. And if you're working, if you're not there for whatever reason, um, you won't be able to get a meal. They don't save a meal for you. Um, so these are like some of the problems with some of the shelters that we have. Um, and so hopefully, um, the CARES Canada can re- remedy some of these problems. Um, that's all we can really hope for. Yeah, and I think it's so important to emphasize what you just said because the whole thing, like we, like uh, Kaylee mentioned earlier, we had a meeting last night um, with some local activists from mutual aid groups, and the fact that yeah, you can have your pets, but they have to have all all their vaccinations. Well, how many people do you know under the Wells Bridge that have fully vaccinated pets, you know, uh, or and I, and what really was astonishing um, was when uh, that report came out, which you actually showed me that basically Reno City Council and the local government said, yeah, we have no idea how many how many uh, houses people we have out here. And the last number that I saw, like if you look up a number, there's like a rough estimate of something like one thousand two hundred some give or take. So the CARES campus can house nine hundred people. Um, <laughs> and so what, what comes of the, the rest, you know, it's it just, again, it's just band-aids that are being slapped on this really, I mean, it, it's an immense problem that we have to handle as a society and have, it, it takes structural change and charity is not going to, to solve this problem, certainly. And again, yeah, the, even, even with the CARES campus and, and with everything that, the, you know, local government's trying to do, um, it's it, not without its holes, not without its shortcomings. And so um, we're kind of in a tricky position where, I mean, well, it's not really a tricky position. <laughs> it's it's obvious what needs to happen. We need to challenge the landlords. We need to have structural change in the in legislation and have to have affordable housing, have to make, I mean, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about what, our conversation with Ron, just like that housing is a human right. And the fact that there's no politician out there talking about houselessness is is though it's this giant problem which it's i mean it's not unique to reno but i mean we were just talking recently that and and you can kind of like speak on this as well if you'd like um just the i guess the infrastructure of reno was not prepared for the population boom and i mean from the time you moved out here 
um, you said 2014, I think, right? So 2014, um, from then to now, can you kind of like talk about like even outside of the, the houselessness problem, just the explosion in population and how like traffic and everything has just been exacerbated? And like you said, I think uh, the surface streets are a lot more congested, I've noticed. And I don't know if it's something local government has noticed, but um, yeah, there's just like long lines of cars um, too long. You know, it kind of gets in the way of like other lanes, like walkways. Um, I think like a solution to it could even be like having timed, uh, not not no longer timed stoplights. We need like censored lights. Which I know costs money, but um, that's something like I'm like more accustomed to in Vegas. I mean, my dad every time he comes out to visit me notices it as well. Um, so I think that, yeah, there's just like a lot of industries like Tesla, like Panasonic, um, a lot of companies coming to Reno, but um, it is like uh, causing gentrification in Midtown and Wells, um, pushing people out. Kind of like you said. Um, moving uh, the houseless community away from uh, tourist parts of um, Reno. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just really pushing out locals and uh, people who, working-class people, uh, homeless people, people native to here out, and having an influx of not just people from California, but all over uh, moving in with more money. Um, and, like, you make a good point about the... Um, Reno Entertainment District, the Red District, a lot of the new housing develops in Reno, they're really nice, really expensive. And it's just kind of like, well, asking yourself, who are these being built for? Because they're not being built for the houseless or um, low-income families or working-class people. They're being built for people from elsewhere, um, driving up all the prices, unfortunately. Um, And even personally for myself, I don't even know um, how long, and other friends of mine have so the same thing can live here anymore because um, it's just gone so bad, uh, the, the um, housing crisis here, that um, I don't know if I could be able to afford to live here anymore. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about moving out of Reno just because it's uh, it's just gotten so expensive. And I mean, I've only been here since 2017. And I mean, it was a drastic difference from Cleveland when I moved out here um, because I, I couldn't believe that a one-bedroom apartment was over a grand. Um, and I was like, why? Like nobody talked, not to knock Reno, but nobody talks about Reno really out East. So I was thinking like, why? And well, it's, it's really, um, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, it's almost like Reno has become a citywide gentrification project. That's what it feels like. Instead of it being just like a section of the city, which is unusual, the usual case of, um, I mean, even Cleveland is getting gentrified, but places like Baltimore, uh, Detroit, um, I mean, especially like Oakland out West, I think it's, it's probably even worse, but, um, you, you have like areas of a city, Reno, it seems like everywhere is just gentrified and they're, oh, these are going to be luxury condos and oh, Jacob's entertainment or whatever, uh, just bought down, bought all the stuff downtown and they're going to turn those into condos and stuff. And again, yeah, it's like, well, who are these being built for? Like we can't afford them. And I mean, with Tesla and all the other like Panasonic, like all the companies that are coming out here that were lured to Nevada because of the asinine <laughs> tax structure of Nevada, um, they all came out here with this sort of predatory attitude, and that's what's happening is, I mean, it's a direct consequence. It is gentrification. It's pushing out the working class. People can't afford to live here anymore. And because Nevada's tax structure and everything is based on entertainment um, and tourism, well, <laughs> the pandemic sort of obliterated all that. 
So I was just not prepared to deal with these issues. And I mean, we were just, again, down uh, underneath the, the Wells Bridge today and uh, talked to a guy named Tony. Shout out to Tony. Um, and he was telling us he lives down there and he's lived down there for a while. And he said, yeah, after this the pandemic, the past like, couple months, explosion in the houseless population. And it's also because, as we'll talk about in a little bit after our break, um, the, the sweeps that have been going on. Uh, and we'll kind of describe that in a bit. But for now, um, we're going to take a short break. Um, you are listening to General Strike Radio on K-Wing 97.7. Here is The Coup with 5 Million Ways to Kill a CEO. Jump in if you find he can swim with lead boots on him and do it again. 
you and a friend Videotape and a party don't yeah. win be selling like crack. He gon' put the little baggies in his nose and suffocate like that. Put a 50 in the barrel of a gun when they try to suck it out. <laughs> well, you know this one. Make sure you ain't got no priors. Don't tell them that we conspired. We could let them try to change a flat tire. Or we could all at once retire. This is just a few of the five million ways to kill a CEO. Slap them up and shake them up, and then you know. Let them off the float and bait them with the dough. You can do it, bunk or do it disco. Slap them up and shake them up and then you know Let them off the float and bait them with the dough You can do it bunk or do it disco Yeah, disco Welcome back to General Strike Radio on K-Wink 97.7. My name is Adam. I'm your host, and I am joined once again um, by my partner and uh, co-conspirator, as I like to call her, uh, Kaylee, of Mass Liberation Radio. So we were just talking about um, the fact that, one, there has been a boom in houselessness in the city of Reno and the surrounding areas, and um, we wanted to talk about mutual aid programs, but also wanted to address the fact that sweeps, um, which are (laughs) essentially... um, sanctioned uh, harassment by police of the homeless community um, from the city of Reno. Somebody's giving these directives, obviously. So we wanted to talk about how that's become more and more prevalent. And again, like I think because you've been here as an activist and as a member of the community, and whether it's in Vegas or Reno, um, do you recall like ever seeing anything like this where there's just consistent targeted harassment of vulnerable people living on the street? No, I haven't. Um, but I'm sure a lot of folks from like Rise and other um, like houseless uh, nonprofits have that have been doing the work for longer have seen something like that. Um, but yeah, it's it, it was like yeah, it was like you said, crushing to see um, Fisherman's Park where we would go out weekly at, as the People Solidarity Program be fenced off and have the police the city whoever wants to take um kind of the blame or probably a little bit of like all these entities for putting um private property signs on a public park um when we'd go out we'd see um folks biking through the park it's like right on the river um same with wells bridge a lot of folks live near the river i'm sure for like bathing purposes um it's just kind of like um a little bit hidden um, it is kind of like Ron, um, we mentioned Ron earlier. He said it's a little dangerous to live by the train tracks, which is where Wells Bridge is located. But um, a lot of our volunteers from the People's Solidarity Program will tell me it's um, shocking to see something like this um, in their neighborhood. They had no idea it really existed because it really is um, out of sight and out of mind. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, Wells Bridge um, has to have, uh, like to me, at least 200 people there. Um, that might be like an over-exaggeration, but um, Fisherman's Park, roughly about 50. It just really goes on and on and on. And I know from your work um, and AFSCME, you've said um, you were by um, the NAMS campus and uh, you've never seen Fisherman's Park so populated with houseless community members. Um, I also wanted to um, add earlier, we're talking about um, an article, and just for our listeners, it's um, from This Is Reno, and it's by Bob Conrad, um, 
I definitely follow his stuff. He's a good journalist. Um, and the title of the article is uh, Local Governments Have No Idea How Many Homeless People Are in the Area. Yeah, definitely. Shout out to This Is Reno for um, some of the great reporting that they do. Um, and there was another article I wanted to bring up. I think it was in Reno Gazette Journal, but because uh, we were talking about gentrification earlier and the housing prices and whatnot going up and rent going up and the landlords kind of just like fattening their pockets. Um, bricks were being thrown through windows um of of realty or real yeah home home realtor companies and whatnot um that had messages on them and uh, a lot of them were were excellent um obviously people are fed up with with landlords and uh real estate pimps right now um as they should be but yeah um I, just to go back to fisherman's park uh it was devastating because that was sort of our stomping ground as a mutual aid organization and a lot of, like kaylee said like a lot of our volunteers when they saw it, they couldn't believe it. And it, it was especially astonishing for me and uh, our comrade Jerry, um, who actually, w- I, I met him as an organizer with Ask Me, and he, he was an organizer as well. So we would be at the Northern Nevada Adult Mental Health Services campus, NAMS, um, relatively often because we were trying to organize um, custodial workers, um, people who were working in the Denny Townsend Hospital, like, you know, being union organizers. Well, right outside the NAMS campus is the river, and on the river is Fisherman's Park and Public Park. <laughs> so we would see, you know, a couple tents because as the state's like cutting its budget, they were removing patients from their housing units that they had on that campus. And so a lot of these folks were like, well, I still need to get my medication, so where am I going to go? Well, they would just set up a tent or like put up a tarp in the trees like just to give themselves some shelter and start living by the river so they could at least be close to campus where they could go get their medication or go to therapy, whatever they were, were doing at the time. And recently, just going back after, you know, not being an organizer for AFSME for two years, the Fisherman's Park, that it became a tent city. It went from maybe... Um, maybe like six tents that I would see to, and I, I think what you said is not an overestimate. I think it's an underestimate. Like I, I think there's hundreds of people under the Wells Bridge. I think there was between probably like 16, 100 people living at Fisherman's Park. And it, it like I said, it just exploded in, in seeing it like the the before and after of like the pandemic and the horrors that it wrought upon this community. It, it really is. It, I mean, it, it's uh, it's hard to talk about because... I mean, we kind of like developed an affinity for Fisherman's Park is like, you know, we were trying to talk to these folks and, and it was great. I want to shout out Dwight and Everett um, and Jerry and Kristen and everybody else who's helped us out and donated. And um, just I mean, I, I can just recall like a conversation being had between D- Dwight and Everett and uh, this guy who was living at Fisherman's Park and just like him showing them around his tent and like seeing, yeah, here's where I am now. And it, it it's like these are human beings, and the fact that they're just being herded from one place in a in a brutal way from one place to another by the police and without any kind of care seemingly from um, local government, I mean it's it's just disgusting, and it it really hurts to talk about. And uh, I don't know if you want to speak on Fisherman's Park, um, yeah, at least from your perspective of because I don't I don't know if you were ever there before we started People Solidarity Program. Yeah, honestly, not really. Um, but I like uh, I'm thinking back to something that Jerry said is and I think he has a really good point is um, when we were talking earlier at the top of the hour about gentrification, um, he could uh, easily see um, housing developments um, being put by uh, 
different parts of the river where, like I said earlier, a lot of houses folks live um, because of just the location of being by the river. Um, we kind of see, uh, even though there was something uh, city council had decided on long ago, not the current city council, the development um, being put by the river where Hub Coffee is and Dorinda's Chocolates. I'm not really sure what streets those are. Yeah, it's like right by actually where I live. That's like um, that's like first, and it's by first and Ralston. It's by it's like on the way to Idlewild Park. Yeah, so it's like yeah, hub, and there's that like roll ice cream joint. And it's it's right by the river, and yeah, they're gonna build a new apartment complex there. And actually, to speak on that for a second, because you said something that I I thought was was excellent, um, just about how gov- like local government itself is sort of it's incapable of making any sort of changes because. The local government today is going to be blamed, perhaps, for that development, even though that choice was made a long time ago. So it's almost like we're stuck in this like infinity loop of crap, like because we can't. I mean, who do you point the finger at? And it's like, well, we know as anti-capitalists, well, who's got the money? That's probably who you should point the finger at. But um, if you can speak on that, just like the impotence of governments, whether it's federal or local, because like all this crap is like set in stone way before they even like come into play. Yeah, funny enough, that's something that I said shortly after um, Adam and I recently got into The Wire on HBO. Shout out to Tom for recommending that to us. And um, really great show, highly recommend. Um, But yeah, like that show really shows how um, uh, politicians and the media and the school district and... um, different unions and um, professions um, and the wire particularly was the longshoremen on the docks and how like gangs and drug dealers are all um, interconnected and, and the same and it was in that show that it really um, depicts in a, in a great way how um, politicians will get saddled with debt from generations of different uh, mayors uh, city council um, in the wire, like I hate to do some spoilers, but um, in the wire, it was specifically talking about um, how the school district had been in debt, um, like million millions of dollars, and the new mayor um, had to kind of deal with that. So um, that's something um, that made me think of how um, this development. A lot of people are upset by it and are trying to stop it now because no one really knew about it and. Um, current city council got a lot of flack and um from what i've seen uh, devon uh, city councilman devon reese has posted it wasn't a decision that this current administration made it was some a decision that happened long ago so even the current administration now couldn't do anything about it we um as citizens of reno couldn't do anything about it because we weren't really aware um a lot of us weren't even living here at the time um, so it's like kind of stuff like that that um, kind of needs to be um, thought about and um, it kind of shows you how um, maybe sometimes not going through political means is always the way and building community is and um, you know really just um, showing solidarity with houses community and like all of us standing up um, because that's kind of how um, these sort of things happen. And I think it's a great segue to the Kansas City um, Homeless Union. Um, And I would like to give you the mic because I think you know a little bit more about that. But it was started by IWW and IWOC. So take the mic. 
<laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I mean, in, uh, before I talk about um, I Walk and IWW and the Kansas City Homeless Union, um, it, it's, it's just funny because it's exactly why, I mean, and you don't really even have to be somebody who's politically minded or quote-unquote active in the community to understand that it's like you're not I mean, I always think of my dad because my dad, he's not the most political guy. He's just blue collar, working class all of his life. Um, you know, uh, first first generation from his or his dad um, was second generation, I guess. Like uh, his dad was an immigrant. Like he's had the whole experience or whatever that would, you know, sort of the American uh, dream, whatever, you know, situation. Um, constantly getting screwed throughout his life. It's actually a nightmare. <laughs> but the the way that he thinks is well, he knows he's getting screwed. He goes to work knowing that the boss is making more money. He doesn't have to go read Marx to know that he's getting screwed. And so on the left, when we talk about these things like the fact that, oh, well, this new administration is uh, impotent, cannot make any changes, or it has to abide by the, the structures that have been established long before their time, it's systemic. Like that's the word we use. Is it's systemic? Like you're not going to vote your way out of this problem. It's capitalism. Like I, that's just the name of the game. And so, um, and yeah. Also, yeah. Again, like the wire. <laughs> I'm not a big TV watcher, as, as Kaylee can tell you, but I um, definitely recommend the wire because it does show how everything is connected. It's and I I love the fact that it's actually in a lot of ways anti-cop. Um, you hear the cops like saying things like um, bashing the schools and well, why do they need that money? We need that money. And there's this sort of competition between public entities and whatnot, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, anyway, the situation in Kansas City uh, is is inspiring, um, to say the least, because um, if you're not familiar, uh, Industrial Workers of the World, IWW, um, started in 1905 as a radical union, um, has a long tradition of being accepting of everybody, even at a time when the American Federation of Labor, which is the dominant federation um, in this country, um, even today, even though it's the AFL-CIO, it's pretty much the CIO was forced to become absorbed into the American Federation of Labor. Um, so even before uh, like all of that, you know, which that's 1955, that merger, and there's a lot of uh, history that I won't get into, but um, the industrial workers of the world um, established itself as a union that said, we're going to organize everybody. We don't care if you're an immigrant. We don't care if you're black, white. Uh, I mean, even there was the Chinese Exclusion Act, which some of labor supported. The IWW said, screw that. We're not for that. Um, at least in, in even people who outside of the IWW that were labor radicals, you know, they there's an excellent tradition is what I'm trying to say. Um, women, um, again, like anybody could join the IWW. And IWOC is carrying that tradition of organizing incarcerated workers that, well, it doesn't matter if you're behind bars, you're still a worker. And IWOC stands for Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee. And what happened in Kansas City is the IWW chapter and IWOC, which works very closely with IWW, it's sort of uh, uh, a sibling organization, um, they decided, well, um, one, a lot of the houseless folks out here are ex-prisoners. There are people who got out of prison and have nowhere to turn because they have this stain or this stigma against them. Um, and they said, well, hell with it. We're going to organize the houseless. And so they have the Kansas City Homeless Union. And what they did was we're going to occupy public spaces. They're going to try to kick us out of this place. We're going to go right on the lawn of City Hall. We're going to occupy government territory. We're going to be up front, out in center, saying the local government, the state government is not doing what it can and should to help us out. And so 
with the support of the community, um, with the support of the industrial workers of the world, and with uh, the support of in- uh, Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, this large group of houseless folks out in Kansas City, again, staged what amounts to a strike as, as far as what, what can be considered a strike. Um, it's not walking off a job, but it's occupying territory and demanding it as your own um, to share with your community. Uh, and it was successful. After two weeks, the uh, Kansas City Homeless Union just had its first negotiations with the mayor of Kansas City. And what I've been talking to Kaylee about, um, as she can tell you, uh, maybe even obsessively, <laughs> is the idea that we need to do something like this in Reno. Like, there's no reason why we can't. I mean, Kansas City is a much larger area than Reno. And I mean, Reno has a comparable <laughs> homeless population. So, I mean, it, it, the possibilities are endless. And it's, it's um, I think, really the union model, the solidarity, not charity model is what we have to what we have to try to achieve and that's kind of um i'll toss the mic back to you that's kind of what we've been been working on if you want to speak on that more yeah just so for our listeners uh, the kansas city star uh, reported up to 500 people can be housed in kansas city hotels after unanimous 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 council decision um and that's um what you were just talking about, uh, they sat with the mayor, sat with city council, and like had a list of demands in the park. And if you follow them on the Kansas City Homeless Union Facebook page, um, they also have an Instagram, but more of their stuff is on their Facebook. Um, their demands were homes, jobs, water, a seat at the table. Um, and it took two weeks, like you said, um, but I think they got a lot accomplished just by standing their ground and... Um, you know, really asking for some of the things they need and not just having um, people who aren't living that uh, life um, decide for them. And that's something uh, Leslie Ann Turner from Mass Liberation um, taught me a lot is uh, oftentimes uh, legislatures will try to create policy, um, try to have solutions like the CARES campus without um, actually talking to anybody who it's directly impacting. So, for example, um the houseless community, um, there was never like a survey taken by city council, even seeing how many people would actually want to stay at the CARES campus. Um, they're really kind of being forced to stay there. Um, and so I think that would have just been something that would have been helpful, just asking the folks, what maybe asking what else could uh, be a benefit before spending uh, millions of dollars on it. And so, um, Yeah. Well, and th- that language is, I, I just want to point out that, you know, I, I have a labor background, labor organizing, and that's sort of like my area of, of expertise, that, if, of course, if I'm organizing, in a, trying to organize a union, like the, of course, you're directly impacted. You're a worker. If you're not a boss, you're a worker. But the that terminology, directly impacted, I think is so powerful because, like you just said, it's like you can try to go be a savior and go out there and... I mean, it's even, I mean, I sometimes laugh at us, like, just like the idea, like, well, here's a turkey sandwich. And it's like, well, that will feed you for the afternoon or here's a burrito or here's whatever. Like, you know, that will take care of you for the afternoon. But really, the responsibility is on our part, trying to learn what the hell they actually need, what they want. And that's and I think it's so powerful that you just mentioned the the Kansas City Homeless Union's list of demands. <laughs> I hope you caught it if you're listening. Water, food, housing jobs like just standard 
human rights stuff. Like, it's not like they're sitting there, you know, these these right wing morons will, will um, you know, say, oh, well, they they're asking for everything. They're asking, you know, for the moon. It's like, no, I mean, it, there is no American exceptionalism crap going on here. It's people need food, water, shelter, basic human needs. And that's on the list of demands. And I think it's so important to recognize the fact that if you're organizing I mean, look, it's, it's, I compare it to being like union staff. If you're uh, uh, an employee of a labor organization, you are not in the same boat as the workers who are you, you are trying to organize. And it's all well and good to go out into the houseless communities. It's all well and good to go out under the bridges and wherever onto the streets and talk to people and, and give them food and, and all sorts of stuff, blankets, clothing items. They, they need that stuff. But if you were really trying to organize, if you're trying to develop uh, an environment which is conducive to systemic change, to structural changes, you you have to build a sense of empowerment in that community. It, you know, it the directly impacted folks, like you say, and and I think um, I mean, especially with like mass liberation and like all the different advocacy groups that are um, trying to work with folks who are incarcerated or the families of folks who are incarcerated or people who have been murdered by police. Um, I mean, that's it's imperative to not just go out there as a, a savior figure, but to to build a sense of empowerment and organization and mobilization for directly impacted people like on you're acting on their behalf. And I think that's a really important thing to, to keep in mind. Um and I guess, do you have anything um, else you'd like to say as far as the, the sweeping situation or the, um, I mean, like we've been talking about tomorrow, there's going to be another sweep at uh, under the Wells Bridge, apparently, because we went there today and there's a dumpster. I mean, if you'd like to speak on that some more. Yeah, just for our listeners, because I'm not quite sure when this will air. Um, when we say tomorrow, it's going to be um, specifically May uh, 17th on a Monday um, we're again like not really clear about the details at the time um, but um, if we're looking at past sweeps uh, it seems like they do them early in the morning Gateway Park which was um, close to GSR and the Walmart um, they were swept um, early in the morning around like 8 a.m. Fisherman's Park um, not really sure when that got swept up um, but um, assuming like early as well um, and yeah, I mean, I, something I didn't add earlier was about the CARES campus, um, is there will be a transitional housing, um, element to that. And I think that's so important is something that doesn't get talked about a lot is we really, uh, not only do we need shelters, but a space at shelters. Cause currently right now, um, something we've talked about before, all of them are full and that's why, um, having, sweeping people out of their, um, tent homes, um, prematurely when all the shelters are full right now and the CARES campus isn't open is really messed up. And so, um, and not just like housing people, like I said, in shelters, we need a way to get them um, to living on their own, um, having like privacy in a place um, they can call their own. Um, I know Northern Nevada Hopes, um, as recently I found out they have Hope Springs. They have some transitional housing, tiny homes, um, I'm not really sure, though, the details about uh, the transitional housing that the CARES campus will offer. I'm, I have no idea how many that will be, what that looks like. Um, but that's something like um, I'd love to hear about or know. Yeah, definitely. 
And uh, that sort of brings us to the end of this episode. Um, but briefly, I wanted to just say, um, last time I was recording, unfortunately, the the episode got lost. There was some kind of digital glitch <laughs> situation. Um, but on that day, um, my uh, grandmother, Maria Raybar, actually passed away. And so I wanted to close this episode by um, sort of, in her memory, uh, acknowledging um, that, you know, she was a hard worker, single mother, raising two kids, um, union member, working class, from an immigrant family, um, and never a goddamn scab. So um, on her behalf, I wanted to play a song called Bella Ciao, which is an old Italian tune um, that used to be sang by um, workers on in the fields and paddy, the paddy plantation fields and whatnot in, in Italy, and it became an anti-fascist uh, anthem um, during the World War II and um, before when the government of Mussolini was starting to gain steam. So um, again, I uh, just wanted to <laughs> shout out my grandma. Um, I, I miss her a lot. And anyway, um, here is Bella Ciao, the anti-fascist Italian anthem. Stamattina mi sono alzato, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Stamattina mi sono alzato e ho trovato l'invaso, oh partigiano. Portami via, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 partigiano, portami via, che mi sento di morire. E se io muoio da partigiano, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e se muoio da partigiano, Tu mi devi seppellir e seppellire la sui montagna. Oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Seppellire la sui montagna sotto l'ombra di un bel fiore. Tutte le genti che passeranno. Oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao E le genti che passeranno ti diranno che bel fior E questo è il fiore del partigiano Oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao Questo è il fiore del partigiano morto per la libertà Questo è il fiore del partigiano morto per la libertà. Questo è il fiore del partigiano.